things. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace at work in our lives, and we pray that, uh, that your grace, that your healing virtue is at work in Father Ron's body. Lord, bringing peace and rest to his mind and healing and wholeness, Lord, and strength to his body. We agree with he and Susie that your power is at work in him to make him whole and restore his strength fully. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Um, Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, Jackie, that you sent a text and asked me to speak tonight. And uh, I had a particular uh, direction I was heading in, continuing on this theme of the Spirit-filled life. And uh, I had the very distinct impression that I was to address an issue which we will get to tonight um, that is not ordinarily, or I shouldn't say ordinarily, it isn't often um, considered uh, within the context of the spirit-filled life, but it is, in fact, uh, a, a critical part of it. And when we talk about um, the spirit-filled life, we're, we're all familiar with the term charismatic, aren't we? In, in terms of uh, the charismatic movement, as it's been called. I think neo-Pentecostalism was a, a phrase uh, that was employed early on, and then it evolved into uh, the charismatic movement. And the charismas, of course, are the gifts of the Spirit that are listed for us in the book of Corinthians. And uh, I think it's important to bear in mind um, that... Uh, the charismatic dimension of Christianity, the gifts of the Spirit as a, a normative within the life of Christians, is an apostolic doctrine. It is uh, it's firmly rooted in the uh, historic church and in its documents. It's not a it's not a a, a fringe uh, element of the Christian life and experience. It's uh, in fact, it's presented within in Scripture as central to the Christian life and experience. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Um, of course, in the early 60s and the 70s, the charismatic movement really burst onto the scene. Um, but there were still people looking sideways at it. That's changed over the decades, but occasionally... Um, there are still people that, uh, you know, wear a puzzled expression when you talk to them about the charismatic movement or the gifts of the Spirit, and they start edging away imperceptibly while you talk with them. Um, not, uh, uh, not, it's much more broadly accepted now, but sometimes, nevertheless, it's, it's, it's important, I think, for us to remember uh, just how important it has always been in the life of the church. Uh, let's, let's open up where I think uh, we were uh, studying several weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 5.
I think it's important to remember that the um, spirit-filled life is more of an effect than an aim. Um, it's rather, in fact, Paul urges us not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, drunkenness is not the aim, ordinarily. It just is an effect of drinking. Now, I never drank alcohol until I was probably 30, and then I went on a real bender. No, I'm just kidding. Um, until I was probably in my early 30s, and... Uh, Occasionally, uh, to this day, I, I may have a glass of wine if it's, you know, it's a very uh, nice enhancement if it's paired properly with a meal. And so occasionally we may have one, and I, it's not something I often partake of. Maybe, I, you know, some years I may have two or three glasses the entire year. Another year, maybe a couple of fat <laughs> Maybe another year, a, a dozen. It just, it's not, a, it's not a, a focal point of my life. But uh, I was traveling in Africa. This was maybe two years after I had begun occasionally having a glass of wine with a meal. And um, I was having dinner with um, the daughter of Justice Duplessis, who was hosting me there for several weeks. And uh, she was a publisher. Her husband was a wonder concert pianist, played with um, Andre Crouch, actually, on occasion when they would visit the state. He was a professor of physics at the University of South Africa, and uh, I was a guest in their home that evening. And we'd gone to the theater, we'd return home for dinner, and uh, as we were eating, he kept filling my uh, wine glass. Well, I was fairly inexperienced, you know, and uh, uh, I, I realized I was laughing at everything that was said. <laughs> And uh, I said, I think I'm drunk. <laughs> and that pretty much sealed the, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you are, so out came the coffee. <laughs> um, and I realized, uh, boy, I'm very inexperienced with this. Uh, so one glass is, uh, I think, the cutoff. Uh, but they were accustomed to it. It's a part of their culture, so... They had, you know, four or five glasses. Well, by three, I was three sheets to the wind, apparently. Um, so I learned, you have to be careful with that. But it wasn't my intention to, and I don't know if drunk may be a little too strong a word, um, but I was approaching something <laughs> of that state. It wasn't my goal. It was an effect, though, of drinking too much wine. The spirit-filled life is an effect of real communion with Jesus. Persistent, intimate communion with Him. It's not our aim to be spirit-filled. It's the effect of these certain practices that contribute to what we would call a spirit-filled life. And, and the real effect of it is we'll turn to John 15 in a moment to look at this a bit more closely, but it's this mutual indwelling. It's uh, uh, you and I dwelling in Jesus and Jesus dwelling in us. And the effect of that, of course, is intimacy, but it's also life. 
life that infects our experience as humans. It reveals itself in increasing degrees of wholeness, in a, a real joy and ebullience that ought to be a part of our lives. The word enthusiasm has a unique etymology. Do you know what it is? In theos, it's full of God. If anyone should be enthusiastic about life, it ought to be believers. We're full of God. Now, the spirit-filled life, I don't, I don't know that it's really appropriate to think of uh, a spirit-filled believer uh, uh, as having more of the spirit than someone else. Um, it's true that Jesus did breathe on the disciples in the book of Luke and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And then, uh, not long after, insisted that they wait in Jerusalem for this endowment, this uh, experience in which they would be clothed with the power of God. Through this experience, we refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, but they had the Holy Spirit. I wonder if perhaps the Spirit-filled life might not be better characterized um, as being described as the Holy Spirit having more of us. Um, when we drink alcohol, we fall under its influence. As we are filled, I hope you all forget that story, by the way. <laughs> Our priest told us the most interesting story about when he was drunk one time in a foreign country. Um, drunk was probably too strong a word. I'm, I'm going to say now it was far too strong a word. Um, the Spirit-filled life is a life in which we are governed by the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit enjoys uh, more influence over our lives and our response. Uh, in, in fact, we read in the book of Romans that uh, they, uh, who are the sons of God? Those who are led or controlled by the Spirit of God. So this Spirit-filled life is a life in which Really, God the Holy Spirit is governing our lives more. Jesus is Lord of our lives in uh, a more practical fashion. In fact, one of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is, is self-control, isn't it? And it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's gentleness, it's kindness, it's long-suffering. It's all of these wonderful attributes that we uh, yearn to display in our lives, and we yearn to respond to others uh, through. Don't have you ever wished for for more patience, more kindness, more gentleness? Um, you consider James' uh, admonition: "Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger." Have you ever gotten that reversed? Have you been quick? Or, or slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick-tempered. And don't you hate it when the worst version of yourself puts in an appearance? 
for several reasons. First, we're just disappointed that that uh, we have represented Christ so poorly, but we also feel badly about the experience that someone else has endured at our hands. Uh, but as the Holy Spirit rules our lives, it's not as if He's simply monitoring our lives. He, he is liberating in us uh, that wonderful seed that was planted in us, Christ. The life of Christ is liberated more and more in our lives. And, and uh, our attitudes, our behaviors become more reflective of that reality. Jesus begins living through us. The real you and I starts to emerge. That's an effect of the Spirit-filled life. So again, the Spirit-filled life is not so much an aim as it is an effect of real intimacy with, uh, with Jesus. And uh, Ephesians 5 gives us uh, really some simple practices to embrace to start to affect that. Um, Ephesians 5, uh, verse... Uh, let's see, 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. These simple practices begin to yield the Spirit-filled life as we embrace them. Let's, I tell you, let's turn over to uh, John the 15th chapter. You recall in John fourteen twenty, um, there this mutual indwelling that I was referring to earlier is um, spoken of by Christ, and then He continues this thought in John fifteen, I am beginning with verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already, verse 3, clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. Now this word clean and the word prune are actually the same, essentially the same word in the Greek. We are pruned or cleansed through the word. Sometimes when we read this, people become very concerned. They think this pruning process is going to be immensely painful. Well, how does God prune? What's He going to do? Is He going to put me through the ringer? Am I going to endure all sorts of hardship and embarrassment and shame as my as my um, uh, flaws start to surface? Um, wow, I, it's scary, Larry. I, how how does this pruning take place? Or am I going to endure something painful? some setback, some financial reversal, 
uh, am I going to endure some health issue? No. Jesus has, has stated here rather plainly how this pruning takes place. We're told that we're going to be pruned, and then he said, now ye are clean or pruned through the words which I have spoken to you. Remember, these words communicate more than ideas and concepts. Jesus said of his word, my word, John 6.63, is spirit and life. When Jesus speaks, it's liberating. Do you recall when he said to the woman caught in adultery, uh, go and sin no more? You know, sometimes I think we read that as if Jesus was wagging his finger in her direction and saying, uh, no more of that business. Now certainly he was urging her, he was commanding her, don't engage in that lifestyle any further, but when Jesus spoke, he liberated power. When, when he spoke, things came. When he commanded demons to go, they fled. When he spoke to the winds and the sea, they obeyed him. He mastered death with his word. He healed the sick through his words. We read that God framed the world through his word. In Genesis, the first chapter, we're told. God said, let there be light, and there was light. When Jesus said, go and sin no more, he was announcing emancipation. He was liberating her, freeing her, not only from the guilt and the shame, but whatever the impulses were that found her engaging in those behaviors, he set her free from that. When Jesus is explaining that we are clean through the words which he is speaking, he's suggesting that the work of God's Holy Spirit and his word in our lives begins this process of transformation that we all yearn for. Listen, I've known people absolutely beaten up by life, and they're not godly. If shame, if pain, if challenge were enough to yield a godly life, they would be saints among saints. But they're not. In fact, I've met many Christians who have endured hardship over a rather sustained period of time. And many times they're bitter. They're resentful. They're angry. It hasn't yielded any sort of godliness. Now, I'm not suggesting that God can't use difficult times. Because He can. God can use anything and often does. But there's a difference between God re-engineering bad and working it for our good and the things that God uses as a rule to affect change in our lives. Say that with me. Now you are clean, purged, through the words I have spoken. Doesn't, doesn't that sound loving? Doesn't it sound lovely and encouraging? Look at let's. I guess we'll race back over to Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Um, Beginning with, uh, I think, verse 25. He refers again to this cleansing process. Ephesians uh, 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the, what? Washing of water with the word. We are transformed, according to Romans 12, too, through the renewing of our mind. As old perspectives, dominated by carnal thinking, yield to God's perspectives that are communicated to us through His Word, we begin to view life and others and ourselves through a far uh, different prism, don't we? John 17, 17, Jesus explained that, uh, uh, well, let's turn there real quickly because it's a, it's a very, again, encouraging verse of Scripture. I want you to read it. John 17, 17, sanctify, separate, set apart them in the truth or by the truth, your word is truth. Now this echoes what Jesus said in John, I think, 8, 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, continue in my word, then you're taught of me, you're my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. This is the process, and, and, and this is the instrument by which God works liberty in our lives. Now, that is so refreshing to me because I grew up in a tradition that suggests, I remember people saying, well, Lord, give me patience. No, never pray give me patience because tribulation works patience. God will put you through such difficult times. Again, and, and please hear what I'm saying and, and don't hear what I'm not saying. Life is challenging. My mentor, Harold Bredesen, was such a godly man and used to minister to world leaders and to Christian leaders. An extraordinary man. But I remember I was with him once and uh, he was actually dressing and his uh, assistant phoned and gave him a bit of news. It was a real challenge. And I remember I was just watching him. He was in the middle of putting his pants on and he said, why does life have to be so damn hard? <laughs> and I thought, well, this is not a moment many people will see. <laughs> um, but he was candid in remarking something we've probably all felt at times. Just challenges suddenly emerge. That's life on planet Earth because this is a fallen world. There is an enemy loose. Peter explain simply that he's walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So there's trouble out there. But we have a Redeemer. And the moment you and I choose to believe, redemption can begin flowering in every situation. No matter how challenging, um, no matter how threatening, redemption can uh, bloom and yield fruit in the midst of that. God uses whatever comes our way. But there's a difference between what God is sort of re-engineering and those instruments He employs to accomplish His will. How is He working in us this trans 
transformation that we're all yearning for, chiefly through His Word and His Holy Spirit. So the more you and I apply ourselves to the Word, we read His Word, we obey His command to Joshua, we meditate in His Word day and night. It begins to promote real change in us. I remember when I really discovered the Word of God for what it really was. This wonderful gift God gave us for communing with Him and answering the big questions of life. I carried it with me everywhere. I, I literally took it to bed with me. I would sleep with it. I, as if I were going to, I think, absorb it through osmosis. It doesn't work that way. You have to open it up and read it. But it's a, it's a wonderful, extraordinary book. I want to encourage you to do that. You'll discover God's life and power liberated in your life and circumstance as you do that. Um, okay, this John, let's go back to John 15. So, <clears throat> we are, we are uh, connected to the vine through this mutual indwelling in Jesus. Jesus dwelling in us, we're dwelling in Him. So there's some intentionality involved in that. It's not simply Jesus dwelling in us, it's you and I dwelling in Him. Uh, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears what? Much fruit. And that's really the goal here. Let's skip over to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you. He's continuing now. He's moved from analogy now to explaining it to the disciples. Greater love has no one than this. That one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and again do what? Bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. So then whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. This I command you, that you love one another. Now, within this context, fruitfulness, there, there are a number of layers to that. I mean, there's, it, it's, it's multidimensional to be sure. However, one important element of this fruitfulness is that you and I love others and that we make disciples. Now, I want to ask, I'm just going to solicit some answers. What, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, go and make disciples. What is a disciple? And how do we make them? Is a believer. So how do we go and make disciples? So we share the Word of God. So that's, we witness. What else do we do? We what? We love them. And that is the most profound witness we can provide. We are witnessing here tonight. We witness to the unbeliever, but we also witness to the believer. We are sharing, I'm sharing with you the love of God. I'm witnessing 
to you and for you the love that God has for you. And I'm encouraging you in that. So we make disciples within the church, but we also make disciples when we carefully share the good news with others. That is not simply an element, a component of the Spirit-filled life. That is one of its goals. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said, Jesus Christ came chiefly to do what? Save sinners. That is God's real objective. Now, how many of you, when you think of sharing your faith, witnessing, become a little tense? Yeah, it's, it's actually a little intimidating and frightening, particularly if you're an introvert. I've, I've met some people that are extremely outgoing, gregarious. I remember riding in the elevator in Boston with a, a gentleman named John Fay. And John, if it moved, he talked to it. And he was not intimidated by anyone or anything. So we're in an elevator. Uh, this is on State Street, uh, Putnam Financial Investments, a lot of suits and ties. And he gets into the elevator. I'm in the back end. And he purposely placed himself in the far corner. And he said, so Larry, what's Jesus been saying to you? And you know, I thought, could I melt into the carpet? How do I disappear from this space? That's not my style, but that was John's style. And, uh, you know, the Lord used it from time to time. <laughs> uh, but what I had to learn to do was to overcome the inhibition, but do so in a fashion that comported with my gifting and my personality. And what I began to discover is that uh, sharing our faith uh, is not formulaic. Uh, it, it is sensitive to God's voice. And it recognizes the dignity and the uniqueness of every individual. And we're to guard and protect that dignity. Not our own only, but, but their dignity. Uh, it, it, it's concerned with individuals' needs not just a cause or a mission. Have you ever heard of people witnessing or observed people witnessing that you could tell it was more about them than the person they were sharing with? If the person said no, I could just imagine them saying, well, to hell with you. Because they had fulfilled their duty. They had, they had um, fulfilled their obligation. And it, that's what their effort was really corresponding to it. It wasn't really the, the need of this individual. Our goal isn't to hear that person say, I believe, at that instant. Paul said simply, look, some people water, some people plant, some people water. Your job may be to plant a seed. Your job may be to water the seed, but it's God, Paul wrote, who gives the increase. We just need to do our part. And sometimes it's just a, a simple word. Now, here in this place, it can be just a simple word. We're, how many of you would like to be encouraged? You're dealing with certain issues, or you have, you have uh, flaws in your own life that you are eagerly um, trusting God to see change. A word of encouragement that signals to you God is at work, that's important, isn't it? We know how helpful it is 
how liberating it is to receive that. It ought to find us eager to be that resource for others. The gifts of the Spirit are given to all. Which ones? Well, you know, that's, that's a, a matter of God's choosing, not our own. But the gifts of the Spirit, they may exist in your life in some latent form, but you can rest assured they're there. Now, it's, and it can be frightening. I'm, I know it doesn't seem like, and I'm an introvert. The first time I gave up to give a speech in the 10th grade, my voice literally quivered, shook the entire time. When I, I did my research at the University of Florida, I was a part of a, an honors course at, at my high school, aced everything. When it came, I bombed on my, my speech when I presented it because I was terrified of people. When God called me to the ministry, I thought, this is clearly a case of mistaken identity. There is no way. And I remember I finally thought, well, maybe I could be a youth pastor because at that point in my thinking, I thought a youth pastor was someone who couldn't quite make the grade. Not true at all. It's an important call I later discovered. But um, when, it, when, when God began dealing with me about ministering in the gifts, it was terrifying. I remember my first pastor praying for a woman and God spoke very clearly and suddenly. Her husband had left her several weeks before uh, and had, uh, I had already spent something like $100,000 of their money on this mistress and cocaine. Quite a combination. And they were in their 40s when this was unfolding. <clears throat> and uh, it looked like, he said, I, I, he wanted him to come back for some reason. You know, our friends were like, Are, you're kidding, right? But she wanted her marriage restored. And uh, she visited our church one evening, and she wanted to be prayed for. Now, as I was praying, very clearly God said, tell her, and this was the first time this happened to me, tell her her husband will return in one week. And I thought, no. No, I am not saying that. Because if an angel appears to me and, and shows me a card that you've signed, and I know this is you, I will do it. Otherwise, this could just be a voice in my head. <laughs> And I am not doing it because, and it's, this is self, I didn't want to mislead her, but I also thought, if I'm wrong, we'll all know in a week. And I'm a young guy in my first pastorate, this could be damaging. <laughs> and I actually remember, I moved away and the Lord reminded me the obligations assigned to that and what it would, the consequences that attend failing to minister a word. So I returned, and I very quietly whispered in her ear, okay. Lord, I think, in one way, well, she was exuberant. I mean, she, I thought, oh my gosh. She was so excited. I knew everyone within the next 30 minutes would know this. She would burn up the phone lines. It would be out there for everyone to hear. So I was terrified for the next several days. I thought, oh, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? But five days later, he returned. Their marriage was fully restored. They're still married today. One of their daughters in ministry. It's an extraordinary story of God's grace. For me, I was so thrilled for her, but I must tell you, <laughs> I was especially overjoyed that my reputation had not been ruined. 
but it wasn't easy. But I learned uh, uh, a couple of years later, there was a gentleman that attended the church. I hadn't seen him for a while. And he returned, and uh, he had been at that church, really enjoyed uh, the teaching there, and had grown. His wife came to Christ. She wanted to go to a, a larger church with a, 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 this was a church plant that had a, a full-blown music program. And he said, what should I do, Larry? And I said, hey, this is your marriage. Your wife has come to Christ. I, I don't know if it was good counsel or bad counsel, but I said, I, he wants to go to that church. They teach the word, go, go, please go. Um, this is an extraordinary thing God has done in bringing your wife to Christ. Um, I, I, I'm suggesting that you go. But occasionally, he would visit, and then I didn't see him. A couple of years passed by. He came one night, and uh, this gentleman, Laurie, was the life of the party. He just was uh, really one of these ebullient fellows, always laughing in the center of a group, you know, talking with everyone, regaling them with stories. And uh, he was chatting with a group that night, and I stopped by and shook his hand. And the moment I touched his hand, the Lord said, I felt this horrible heaviness. And the Lord said, Lori wants to die. And he's looking at me eye to eye, laughing, smiling broadly. And I thought, yeah, right. And I just kept on. And that night I returned home and I was, Beth and I were, uh, had retired from that. I was laying in bed and I said, Beth, something unusual happened tonight. And I told her and she said, well, you, then you had better tell him. I said, well, it didn't look applicable. I, he doesn't look like a troubled man. He looks like Laurie, life of the party. He said, well, I think you should share that. So two weeks went by, and I finally picked up the phone one night, and I learned to say something, and I encourage you to do it as you venture out. I said, Laurie, this is Larry. I may be all wet on this. If I am, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And uh, uh, let me know. I've missed it. But I feel like the Lord told me that you want nothing more than to die. Nothing. Silence. I thought, uh-oh. Then I heard sobbing. Sobbing and sobbing. And finally, he struggled to say, I've been praying for the last three months. Lord, don't let me wake up in the morning. Now, he had a wonderful life. A beautiful wife, wonderful daughter, wonderful job, beautiful home, everything. I think he was suffering from clinical depression. Um, he didn't know what it was, but God knew he needed something. And he was asking for God to take him home. He should have been asking for God to heal him and deliver him. And, and that's what happened. And it's a simple word. It's not a sixth sense. You know, when I share something like this, I know people are like, I'm keeping my distance. Because he's got x-ray vision, I'm pretty sure. No. If God makes it known, he makes it known. And he doesn't, you know, it's not like he's gossiping. Hey, Larry, you won't believe this. It's a word for somebody. If he shares something with you, share it. Now, I'm going to share, and, and I, I share this I'm embarrassed by it. I'm ashamed by it. Um, and I can use the name now because their divorce was public and then their marriage was restored. But 
um, I had, I was in Orlando uh, staying one evening in the home of Dr. Um, Don and Mary Colbert, and the next day she was hosting an event at her home, and uh, she said, Larry, I want you to come in and meet some of these ladies. I was greeting people, and then I took a seat. She, Mary left the room. It was a very large room. There were probably 40 people there, and uh, I sat down beside a woman, and when I did, this tremendous heaviness washed over me, and then I saw a woman estranged from her husband emotionally, um, isolated, frightened, feeling that her kids were being uh, drawn away from her. It was, the, it was a terrible sense of hopelessness and despair and fear, and I was just turning to begin to minister to her when Mary came into the room and said, Larry, have you met Suzanne Hinn? It was Benny Hinn's wife. Well, I had spent the afternoon with Benny the day before, and I don't subscribe to everything Benny says or does. It was, uh, enough said. <laughs> um, and I thought, no, I am not saying a word. What was more important to me at that moment was uh, not getting involved in a situation that I didn't want to be a party to or, frankly, I didn't want trouble with Benny. <laughs> um, now, there's a word for that. It's called selfish and it's called cowardly. And I acknowledge that that's exactly what I engaged in, cowardice and selfishness. Would that have prevented their divorce? And thankfully, they, they uh, have remarried since. I have no illusions that it would have uh, stopped the divorce, but you know what it would have done? It would have ministered comfort to that woman in that hour whose need was dire. And I failed miserably. What I learned since was that if God gives me a word, I'm obliged to share it no matter what. God wasn't gossiping to me. He wasn't saying, Suzanne's really going through it there and Benny is really a jerk. Um, he was wanting to reach out to her. But she was probably, in those situations, I mean, I've, had the opportunity to spend a, a good deal of time with high-profile Christian leaders, and they live in a very insular world. And they are surrounded often by, some people are very well-meaning, then there are just sycophants there who, who will tell them what they need to hear or want to hear, rather not need to hear. And they can be very, very isolated. And God was trying to pierce that and, and reach out to this person, not Suzanne Hinn, just his child who was hurting. You, now, it may not be a high-profile person, but it may be somebody that intimidates you personally. Or it may just be a word that, that frightens the bejesus out of you to share with someone. Step out of the box and share that word. It may be in a grocery store we were at a, one of the, Melrose has a, a Chipinis. Anyone familiar with Chipinis in Melrose, Florida? 
yeah, it's a watering hole. I mean, it's a gas station, but it's a watering hole on Friday night. So you've got a pretty eclectic, eclectic blend of people there who are quenching their thirst. And they have bands come in. And so we were down there listening to this a group play, and, and God opened some doors for ministry. Now we've learned just to share. You know, God gives you a word, share it. I'm, I'm 57 now. I'm reaching that age where apparently it's true. You do reach an age where you're like, I really don't care what people think. <laughs> um, um, it's very liberating. <laughs> um, but I wish I'd have gone there years ago because I allowed my own self-consciousness sometimes to get in the way of God's efforts to help someone who's hurting or lead someone to himself. A word spoken at... I don't need to ask... Let's say I, I, I bump into this guy out on the beach or at a restaurant. I don't need to give him the four spiritual laws. Have you, say, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? I mean, people, as a rule, when you say, do you know Jesus? That's just, oh God, that's just terrifying. People are like, I, I, I need this person to leave me. I need to leave them. I need space between us right now. But what if I said a simple phrase that didn't sound like I was preaching the gospel, but it was the words that God knew would speak to his heart uniquely? then that's all I need to do. I don't need to uh, be prepared to offer the four spiritual laws, answer every question. I just need to be ready to share a simple word. I remember one time God spoke to me, call so-and-so. This was a minister, very, very macho guy, lived in another part of the country. The Lord said, call him and tell him I'm crazy about him. And I thought, I, thought, I don't talk like that. He doesn't talk like that. He's very macho. You'll probably think I've lost my marble. And I did it again. I put it off and put it off. And finally I said, okay. So I called up one evening. I said, hello. I will say his name. And we chatted for a moment. And I said, this is going to sound very strange. But um, the Lord told me to tell you. He's crazy about you. This was Lori again. Nothing except... A moment of silence followed by sobbing. And then he said, I can't talk right now. Oops. I'll call you later. Okay. <laughs> and hung up the phone. I thought it was nuts. I thought it, what, what, what does, who calls up and says, God is crazy about you? To another minister, no less. It's what he needed to hear. I'm not responsible for anything beyond that. But it made a huge impact. I mean, he phoned me later and, and it made a significant impact on his life. He was struggling with a particular thing right now and that's what he needed to hear and that was the vernacular he needed to hear it in. It was meaningful to him. And he related to me the experience, why it was meaningful. I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. Way to go, God. Um, Alright, so I'm saying that to Sort of, I'm trying to bring full circle this idea of the Spirit-filled life. Discipling others, whether it's here within the church, uh, those with whom you fellowship, or people outside of the church. Unbelievers. 
these gifts of the Spirit that begin to flourish in our lives as we, as we cultivate the Spirit-filled life in our own experience, um, they become available. And I want to tell you, life becomes a grand adventure when you start teaming up with God in the family business, which is seeking and saving that which is lost. It's so exciting to uh, share the good news with, with people in a way that's meaningful to them at that moment that allows Jesus to step out of the pages of this book and into their lives and announce to them, I'm alive and I'm here for you. That's often the first step in those uh, men and women coming to Him. Uh, and, and we have a part in that. So I, I went on beyond what I intended to, but I wanted to share with you, isn't it joyful? Isn't, doesn't it sound like a great adventure? And will you make mistakes? Yes, I hope. I mean, that's what I shared those stories for. I'm, I'm amazed. God, after like the fourth or fifth time, God didn't say, okay, let me impart to you a different set of gifts because this isn't working too well. But he didn't. He was faithful and he kept using me and, and it's, it's been a joy. But you will make mistakes. But that's okay. You know, just remember you're human and tell people up front, I may be all wet on this. And I'm sorry if I am, but I think God told me to tell you something or do something for you. And, and uh, God will show up nine times out of ten. <laughs> I'm figuring one time out of ten you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and pray I hope this was helpful to you Father help us we pray uh, to cultivate in our own lives this rich spirit filled experience uh, of intimate joyful communion with you Sunday, Monday, Tuesday Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday Every day, Lord. And as we enjoy this intimacy with you, that we, we listen carefully. Not simply for the words you speak to us that will benefit us. But listen for the words that will um, minister life to others. A word to act, Lord. Uh, to act on or a word to speak and, and to share with someone or to pray. Help us, Lord, to become sensitive to them and responsive to them and, and finally, Lord, to be obedient to it. And I pray that you give us great boldness and we receive your encouragement, Lord, to push out the bookends a little bit further, Lord, to move out beyond what we are comfortable with for what we trained ourselves to. And allow you to lead us gently and joyfully into this wonderful adventure. In Jesus' name.